believe it or not, that is my voice from an old answering machine message sampled by my guest today, Jill, Jerry Logan. This is episode six in this series of conversations with interesting folks and convoluted self-reflective dialogue by myself, Yoni Wolf. Welcome to this episode of The Wandering Ringer. Why do I call him Jerry Logan? That's not his name. His name's Jeff Logan. Yeah, his name's Jeff Logan. Okay, yes. I don't know, I, I don't know. I fucking call him Jerry. I call him Jerry because I have since I was young. I have since 2001. I don't know where the name came from. I always thought he looked like a Jerry. The fact that he wasn't Jerry was an abomination. But you know what? Maybe it's a, it's a nickname for Jeffrey. Jeffrey, it's just Jerry. Jerry, just get rid of the F. Get rid of a couple consonants and close it up. Jeff is like Jif, fucking peanut butter. Jerry, just give me Jerry any day. Look, I'm lucky enough to have this guy on today as well as my man, Adam Drucker, back to the podcast. He was the first conversation. It's good to have him back for a little follow-up. To have them on there is a real honor. A real honor. A real honor. So, yeah. No, you know what? After this talk, I was like, man, I didn't get out of that what I wanted to get out of it. I was like really rushed at the time because I had this meeting to get to and I had all this shit to do. And I was in Oakland and I'm seeing like my sister and her boyfriend and everybody was around. So it was like, it was stressful a little bit, I guess. Also, of course, great. But I felt rushed for time for this interview. So I felt like I didn't get out of that what I want to get out of it. When I went back and listened over the last week, I loved the talk. I've, I've been extremely nostalgic for like the times that we had back in the day out in California. At the, Of course, at the time, I hated life. I was depressed and whatever. But now when I look back, I'm nostalgic for it. Isn't that how life is? I don't know. I, I just miss those guys a whole lot. And hopefully, I asked them a few days ago, hopefully someday we'll get to do another Tahoe vacation. Just be zombie high for three days, throwing darts and sitting in hot tubs. Uh, that'd be great. Hopefully, we can have just a windfall of cash. Let's got guys, Adam and Jeff, if you're listening, let's start a Kickstarter for our Tahoe vacation and see if we can uh, make that happen. I miss you guys. All right, this is a conversation we had a couple months back uh, at the Clarion in Oakland just before a Y concert at the New Parish. Yeah, I apologize if you hear people coming in and the shower turning on and off. This was like our shower room, so you can hear people in the background sliding their pants on and whatnot. The jean, you know, the sound of jeans um, being slid through with white socks. You hear that occasionally. So I apologize for any background. Again, again, this is the Wandering Wolf. It's not uh, fucking hermetically sealed studio recordings. This is uh, out on the road. Uh, don't expect much, and uh, and I'll give you even less. Let's let's check out this conversation. It's it's, uh, it's actually really good. Peep game. Okay, I'm here. This is Chef Logan. A.K.A. Jerry Logan, A.K.A. Jerry Ruffins, A.K.A. <laughs> Jell. Jeff. Jeff. He's producer extraordinaire, makes beats, music, all that kind of stuff. Yeah, and I love half-used hotel rooms. Oh, well, you get comfortable here, like girls' night at the uh, slumber party. So, what, yeah, what's what's the latest, man? What what have you been up to lately? Oh, I've I've uh, been finishing an album for the past, you know, four or five years. Yes. Solo album, new gel album on Anticon. Uh, the follow-up to Soft Money. Exactly, exactly. It's, it's been taking its, its time due to themselves subtle, 13 and God, other bands that I'm involved with. So now, uh, the past like four or five months, I've been finishing it. It's done. It's fucking done. It's really, it's really getting done? It's you done. You can cuss, man. There's no, oh, it's not, oh, it's not right. radio or nothing like that. Well, yeah, fuck that. Yeah, it's, it's, it's almost finished. Yeah. Actually. Everything's done. We're just... Figuring out the fucking sequence and shit. <laughs> and you you're doing that with Dave Masson? Yeah, I know Stone. And he 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 helps you in what capacity? Uh, he helps me in a a mixed sense, and uh, he actually does help in a lot of uh, 
final sequencing things, just ideas of adding things and taking away things. Almost like a producer's role yeah. for a producer in a way, like, are you co-produce it in a way with him? Yeah, he, he would be the co-producer, definitely. Or he would be the co-producer, yeah. Mm-hmm. That's cool. You guys work pretty well together, you seem to. Yeah. yeah, yeah. We've been doing it for a while, especially like with the Getty shit and all this stuff that we've been doing. Yeah. You know, the car and... You, yeah, you do Kenny a lot of different shit. shit. Do you, do you have a different mind state when you go into a different like project or a different sound idea that you have in mind, or you or do you just kind of fly by the seat of your pants with where you're at? Personally, if I'm making a beat by myself, I'm in my room thinking of a song that I might use for my own personal music. I'm gonna think about it more. I'm gonna like it's gonna take me a while for it to develop. Other than like if I was doing themselves or working with Dave on a Serengeti track, this is the other mind there that that. You keep bouncing things back and forth. It, it goes by quicker usually, you know, for me. It, it goes it, by it, quicker because oh, because you're d- collaborating with somebody. Yeah, else. and there's compromises, and you're you're you know you're not just stuck on something forever. There's like okay, well let's do it this way. No, let's do it this way, and then you come to a compromise, and then you go on from there. You know. Do you, do you prefer one or the other, or are you or are you kind of like you like both? I like both actually. I mean, I, I'd like to be able to do it with myself more have a working environment where I'm comfortable to be able to check myself and you have know, a conversation with yourself yeah about sit what down you know a lot of mirrors around you yeah know, like <laughs> spin around a little swivel chair and be like so Jeff from the backside, <laughs> what are you thinking about this track? yeah and be like ah do you feel like you've ever come into a, a situation where you have an ideal environment to work or do you feel like you're always working up against uh barriers in terms of not enough space, not enough equipment, not enough instruments, not enough whatever. Yeah, I mean, my whole the, would be not enough space and lifestyle, I guess, right? To accommodate the fucking euphoric working environment, I would love to have <clears throat> something to aspire to. You know, do you have? Do you have like in you know in my mind? Because I've never had a space where I'm like, oh, this is you know, I've worked in studios, you know, like doing the. You have a place in your house. I have a room in my house, but, like, it's not set up right, and it's, I don't have any equipment hardly at all. Like, you know, I've only ever worked in bedrooms. This is the first time where I have an actual room that, like, I'm going to actually... But I'm not going to actually dedicate it to, like, a studio because I'm going to try to get an external studio to rent. See, you know, Cincinnati's so cheap. Yeah. It's like I'm going to try to rent, like, a warehouse But you also space. like that, that outside perspective I as like well. to be able to yeah. go away... From the house, see, for me, it's like, if I'm in the house recording, I'm just going to ha- get a snack, and, like, watch one episode of Californication or whatever, and, like, that kind of shit. Yeah. <laughs> and I think that's a product of, like, always working at home, and I, I wondered if you had a similar experience, or if you feel like that's, like, how you, like, prefer to work. Yeah, I don't think I've ever been in a situation where I, I preferred to work. The me only either. split time was, like, after you and David left the Fairmont house with Adam being there as well. When when Adam left, finally, I had the whole place to myself, and it was right. two bedrooms for eleven hundred, and I couldn't fuck. I can only do it for three months, and I had to bounce. But I had studio. It was the when you guys did two, you know, the cloud dead shit. Yeah, the end of it where you know my father shit happened. When... <laughs> uh, you're you're too high. I don't understand what you're talking about. You're gonna have to explain. You're making click connections here, synapses I haven't made yet. The house we lived in next to the Moore Brothers. I know the house. Yeah. I used the studio space that was the studio space and then was Adam's bedroom. What was the studio space? That was Adam's bedroom, but where we... Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, Yeah, so like, that's where I actually... That was my bedroom and then the other room was my studio. That's the only time I had a separate space to record. As opposed to your bedroom. As opposed to next to my bed and having everything around the room that I sleep in and wake up in. That was the time, like at that point, I think that was you were living there by yourself. When I came back that one day, we listened... We actually, we spun the Led Zeppelin album backwards and we heard Oh My Sweet Satan... Oh, yeah, yeah. All that shit. Yeah, I was still in your bedroom, actually. That, the turntable was in your bedroom that we were listening to. Mm-hmm. That was when I was basically using Adam's room for, for making Oakland a soul song. Shit. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah, Jeff and I... We used if, to be roomies. We were roomies. Man. Yeah, and we used to live together. We When I first moved out to the Bay in 2001, uh, I moved in with Adam Drucker and Jeff and Dave Madsen, uh, no some, in this apartment. And we all lived in there, and it, it got it was get it, it would get crazy, right? We, we well, yeah, I mean, you guys were living on two sides of the living room. Me and Dave, and me and, and, Adam we, me and Dave kind of hated each bedrooms. other. Yeah, so like you were in the same room. It was just too many people for a two bedroom apartment, of course, yeah. especially all dudes. Like you guys had your own little things set up, like up against the windows, like it was a bedroom. Like, <laughs> <laughs> did we have curtains around it or something? Yeah, or no? yeah. I, I don't know if you did or, or Dave. Both of you might have. I don't remember. But. Yeah. 
Yeah, that was an interesting time. I think it was a cool time, though. I think we all were doing a lot of stuff. Well, yeah, we are all excited about the whole start of the Anaconda shit, so you guys just moved out. Me and Adam have been there for at least a year or something like that, but yeah, there was projects happening, and we were all fucking like... Yeah, we were doing like... I mean, there must have been four or five albums going on at once in that apartment. Like, you guys were working on themselves, the No Music... We were working on my record, the Oakland Soul Asylum record. Mm-hmm. We were working on the Cloud Dead, the second Cloud Dead record. You were working on Ten Seconds at the time, or that was done. No, that already? was done. I was working on like new shit or for the, for Soft Money stuff that, that became Soft Money yeah. twelve years later. Yeah, and then, <laughs> you know, I'm sure Adam was doing some kind of solo thing. Yeah, I mean that's like four, five, six records. Yeah, at once in that little I'm last sure, yeah, apartment. The, yeah, yeah, Lou Bowen, fucking. Crazy ass Texan landlord, like that made the the no music artwork. He uh, on the, the no music artwork yeah. would come by. Hey, hey, Jack, guys, where's the red check? Yeah, and uh, yeah, it was, it was an interesting time. Go on, you know, every morning we would go up to fucking Gaylord's and get our coffee. Do you, do you feel like? Uh, I should go back to uh, the flower shop that you worked at and fuck. see what's up with Hassan. Fuck! <laughs> I was just I telling somebody about Hassan recently, actually. This guy was like 80 years old and girls would come by and he would just always make me feel so awkward because it'd be like a young girl, he'd be hitting on her and he he called me yo because he couldn't say yoni for some reason <laughs> and he would say real nasty shit, just like really nasty shit, like you're going, you'd want to be in that ass, you know. <laughs> but he rolled in the, in the the banana bins or whatever the he did have a, a yellow bins yeah it was like lemon meringue yeah <laughs> and he was a badass pool player yeah uh, looked awkward as fuck ugly ass shots but they always went in and he could call whatever he wanted yeah, to call yeah played with him a lot you'd go up and yeah I met you though three four years before that mm-hmm. in like 97 98 maybe in Cincinnati in Cincinnati first time I met you with, I think was at Adam's house on Jefferson and you had you had your ponytail with the shaved hair underneath <laughs> and you were wearing some some big ass lugs boots yeah and some and jeans and a big t-shirt and a huge clothing and didn't talk much and I, I thought you hated me kind of no I, was, I just had a I had a, a issue with my weight and that was all <laughs> that's why I was weird you know, I wear the big clothes and well, stuff well me too me too. I probably did hate you at first, man. You know, probably. Yeah. But, but I don't remember saying anything bad about you. No, you didn't say anything bad. I just, it was like, you know, you're the silent figure in the corner. But I was very shy, I think. You were, you had a shyness, yeah. You had a shyness. But, like, you had met Adam at that point and had started working with Adam a little bit. Two I dibs, think yeah. Mainly doing presses, really, at that point yeah. with, with Dibs and, and Adam. But what, what, how did you hook up with Dibs? Because you hooked it with, through Kevin Beecham? Yeah, I was with Kevin Beecham and the, the three kids that I was in high school with in a rap group. I was a DJ, and we had this whole elaborate scheme. Kevin was going down to <clears throat> to Atlanta, Georgia to do an interview for the magazine that him and Jaybird had put together. Jaybird lived in Atlanta at the time? No. They, oh. they both lived in Waukegan, okay. Illinois. So, but there was some Chicago artists that were down in Atlanta, the Matt's crew. They were down with Tongue Twister. Kevin was going down there to interview them for the magazine, and we went down there with him as a high school rap group. One of the dudes, uh, Chanel, his uncle or cousin was one of the guys from Tag Team. Okay. Um, and you were going to what? Perform for those no, people? No. He said if you ever, I guess in Chanel's mind, he said, like, whenever you come down, we got the studio, we'll hook it up. We were high school kids and shit like that. So we went down, and Chanel was like, I'll just call him and we'll record a rap song. We'll just know? pop into the studio and record yeah, a rap yeah. song. You guys and had never recorded anything before? No, or? we recorded stuff on four tracks. You had, yeah, okay. Yeah. And we'd gone to some studios back then. In Chicago? Yeah, and with help from Kevin and whatever, the stuff that we did on our own, you know, just. Yeah, so anyway, on the way back from Atlanta after that thing happened, Kevin got his interview. And, Hold on, I'm sorry. Kevin, he, he had interviewed who? The, the dudes that were in Twister's crew? The yeah. Chicago guys. Yeah. Okay. Interviewed them in Atlanta, and on our way back home, we were like 15 or 16 at the time, I think. On the way back home, Kevin was like, Cincinnati's an hour off this way, coming back up from where we had in Atlanta. And he's like, I got this Mr. Dibs, or this 1200 Hobos mixtape, and, and the dude Dibs that's on the back. I called his number, and he said, yeah, whenever you're in Cincinnati, just like come by, and we'll chop it up. There's a number on the back of the, mi- of the mixtape. Yeah, the 1200 Hobos. Crown on it. it like Who was on the 1200 Hobos mixtape? Do Dibs, John Doe, Fingers? I think, no, no, that was, the first one was Skills, Tapes, Techniques, I think it was called. I don't, okay. I don't know if I got the words right, but it was Dibs, and I think Skip. Okay. So, yeah, we went up there, and that whole thing was like, we called his house, Bernice, his ex, you know, his wife, 
answered the phone. She was like, well, he's down at Annie's by the river. So we cut off to the river and all of a sudden we like roll up on Annie's and we see the graffiti going on and we're like, oh shit, this is, this must be it. So we pulled in and Dibs was there and. What that was that was like that what was very Scribble first Jam ninety seven ninety five ninety five I was there motherfucker so you were there too I was there with like Dame One and and uh, yes. Home Skillet was there yes and they had the cardboard out yeah they were out this was like Holden Bryant and like the, the baby was there I I don't remember but I, Dibs did the national anthem he played he played the Jimmy Hendrix national anthem um, yeah it was the out Pace was there and, you know. yeah man yeah yeah because I I went there because I had heard I like. This was it was during the school year, I think. I don't think it was summertime. No, it was it was yeah, it was like spring break or some shit. Something because somebody these girls. So we had these girls in our class that were they hung out with older graffiti writer skater dudes, like the good graffiti writer skater dudes. Yeah, they were like the supply of girls for them. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> but like they were in class with us, yeah, and we were like the whack young graffiti dudes. And, like, they let the information slip that there was going to be this graffiti... Scribble magazine. Scribble magazine is this graffiti symposium. Yeah. And we were like, oh, we got to go. That's so, crazy. So we all went, me and Aaron Bray and Ben Solstead, and, like, we were the 513 regulators. So <laughs> we, went, we, we went over there basically to jock the fucking TSC crew, yeah, you know, yeah. Five and Chaser and, and Fat Nick and all those yeah. guys. Yeah, and and then unbeknownst to us, there were these dudes freestyling, home skillet, Malachi, uh, whatever. Oh yeah, um, breaking was it? Yeah, he was good. That guy yeah. was good. He was, he won. Not that year wasn't a it wasn't a battle per se, as far as I remember. No, it was the next just, year was the battle. Ninety six yeah. was the first battle that that yeah. I saw. The so Brent Brent Benedict has entered the building. You and Kevin Beecham and, the, and your rap crew. Yeah, so we we, we made we, we fell into the scribble '95, and then from there, that, I just find that crazy. We, that you were I, there, we I was back. there. Like we I went 15, back. We were like three, 15. Four times. Yeah, yeah. Isn't that weird? But I kept going back, and then we then Dibs, we formed a crew with, with one of the MCs, Diallo, who went by Vibe. But then and Dame One. Dame Dame One, I yeah, remember. Plead the fifth. Yeah. So we like had a group, Puerto Rican alias. kid, real clean. Yeah. Yeah. So we had a group, and then Dibs put it on the second twelve hundred hobos tape the the song Alias the group was called Alias so okay. it was like Dibs the DJ me the producer Diallo and and, uh, and Dane yeah. okay and that shit got played on like uh, the Stretching by Beto show once like, really like, half of it yeah cool so we were like back then and like in high school like holy shit yeah yeah so then from then on like me and Dibs became friends and Prestige was in the in the works and he was like yo I just went to the show <clears throat> it was a uh, it was Lyrics Born it was a Lyric show with, with Shadow Adam Drucker is in the building, and Adam Drucker was in the building at the Adam time. Adam Drucker, this is the, this is the. Wait a second, you smilers. Uh. Yeah, we planned it out. So okay, so that so Dibs had called me from Cincinnati and said, "Yo, I just went to this Lyric show, and I met this dude that's gonna be perfect for the Presage album because he he was doing this Illuminati rap shit." That's what Dibs told me. And his name is Dose, you know. Right. So the next time I planned to go down was probably like a week and a half later, the weekend, because I was going to school and shit in Chicago, and then I would make my way down to, to Cincinnati every other weekend. I had this weird thing. I'm no hippie, but I had a dream that uh, I was on my high rise dorm porch with Dibs, who I just met, and some other dude. And then uh, Jeff came over a week later. And I had total deja vu, and it was Dibs and Jeff straight up from the dream. And then, do you remember what we did? We threw shit at the tree. We threw little Kim twelve inches from Brad's <laughs> record club off of my porch into at the this parking giant lot. tree in the UC. Yeah, yeah, into the tree and then into the hitting cars. It was really nice. Cool. And grab. <laughs> that was the first time you guys met. That was it. That was the first one. That was when I met Jeff. Yeah, yeah. You guys started working with Brad, and then and then you guys decided to do your own thing, the them yeah. album. Yeah, well, I'd keep coming back, and there was one time at Brad's house where we, we worked on other songs that you wanted to Wait, work on. Wait, that was what we did. We did, it was another session. You came down to finish more Presage, yeah. and we did Two-Ton Can of Whoop-Ass. Okay. Several Odd Words in a whatever casing, and the other one that's on Hemispheres. So we did that whole batch, and Epic, which was never on anything, okay. well, Ethereal yeah. Downtime yeah. was the other one. Okay, okay. Right? That's when the G Fresh lost it. Yeah, lost the. There was a flute sample and he lost it. There's some other. He had it muted. Said he lost it. Great flute sample. You think he stole that flute sample? No, I think it was just like a. It was a VSA 80, so it was like muted somehow and wasn't brought back up. And then after those songs, we had such a good time. It was the beginning. We didn't really program the SP to the words yet. He just would sequence the beat 
and then I would fill it out. And then we did the first songs that were on the Them record, and that was when we really started sequencing to cadences and mm -hmm. writing like a, yeah, a duo. Yeah, a little more complex stuff. Yeah. This Them was later. It was like, that was, you guys yeah. recorded that in Minneapolis. But we sequenced, we sequenced it in, Chicago. in yeah. Chicago. I'm saying I was there when you recorded the It's Them vocals. So was that dude's basement. Yeah, yeah. 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 That was It's Them, Revenge of the Firm, yeah. and I want to say Grass Skirt. Yeah, Grass Skirt. In, in that dude Anomaly's session. basement, we were yeah, all just hanging out. Yeah, and we did the Posse Cut. And that's when Idea said the famous words, uh, those guys are weird. <laughs> yeah. That's, yeah, when you were doing it, he's like, man, this is... I just ran into Max in oh, yeah. uh, Montana. I can't even think of the name of the town. Missoula. Missoula. No, in Billings. God forbid. In Billings. The other Missoula. Uh, they played a show after us, him and that dude. Sadistic. Sadistic. Mm -hmm. They were just here. The show. Yeah, we okay. missed uh, them on Saturday. I love Max, man. He's yeah, so cool. real sweet. Real oh, sweet, he's, man. He's a homie. So you guys recorded that album... But let's flash forward to California, because, I mean, if that's all right. Well, he moved out with my records. They stopped by on the way with Russ, Reverend Destructo. You guys came down to Cincinnati? No, I was with Dave Kuzner. Kuzner, yeah. right. So, but they were in the first wave of going California. Right. For the Antico. first wave is what, what Tim and, and... Sorry, second wave. Yeah, Tim second. and Pedestrian was first, kind okay. of. Yeah. I moved out there when it was, yeah. It was Bren, like, same Bren time. Bren moved around the same time. Like, actually, a, a week or two before me, and Mayonnaise was out there, I think, around the same time. They all came came together. I forgot his name was DJ Mayonnaise for some reason. <laughs> <laughs> I forgot. I didn't, you know, or when you're younger, you just don't think about that. Like, yeah. oh, yes, yeah, my homie DJ Mayonnaise. <laughs> like, oh. Yeah. Yeah, and then, no uh, offense, Chris. I don't. I I think it's great. Oh man, I love those warehouse days. Anyway, so yeah, and then we they moved out into the famous Lester Ave apartment where nine human beings was the maximum. Yeah, cap. It was, it was kind of uh, like a three, four point, bedroom, three and a half, weird three and a half. Yeah. But you talking about the spot where we did the the, the, the stuffed animals shit? Yeah, all the stuffed That's animals. The place was filthy. Stuffed animals was fun though. That was hella fun. You, I have never laughed. Yeah. That hard oh, yeah. during recording when yeah. you and Circus were doing the Toby skit. And we couldn't, yeah. Brandon even, who doesn't really enjoy laughing, right. we we <laughs> laughed. We were crying. I don't think I stopped crying the whole time. You guys somehow got it together to do yeah. the takes. Hey. It was not me, man. It was it was your boy, man. <laughs> you were laughing. <laughs> I was laughing just as much as you guys were, man. Yeah, and then, then we met everybody, Kirby Dominant and Ola. Yeah. In that dirty ass house with the, where the piranhas jumped out of the tank. At night. Oh, really? <laughs> it's the Oscars. Weird, like, and then you guys, you guys moved to that warehouse, and I would come and visit you guys. And we went to Berkeley, and then you guys and went you to stayed, Berkeley. Yeah, you guys you, never lived in the warehouse. But you, you, uh, okay. We recorded bike and the other shit yeah. in that Berkeley apartment, and then uh, yeah, you came and visited a couple times, and the warehouse was disgusting, and you guys yeah. did that. Um, Song. This is about the city. No, no, no. You I mean, uh, I'm sorry, city center, 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 city, center, yeah. city. Yeah. What happened after that? There was. Jeff and I was just talking about when, when three of us and, and Dave were living in, in the apartment on Fairmount, you know, and I, I just realized, like, we had we were working on, like, four or five albums at the same time in the same apartment on, you know, three or four different, like, recording, recording systems. Yeah, it was and, and the computer and the right. digital performer. Yep. It was like our energy in the Green Think Mansion, but it was, like... Uh, I wouldn't say professional. It was eight eighties and us opening doors on each yeah. other all the time. But it was like a lot more intense, and everything we was kind of coming out. Yeah, that was the era of like executing EPs, and you were like everybody was kind of trying to finish something. Yeah, yes, instead of uh, running was, tape. Everybody was coming into their own a little more, figuring yeah. out figuring out where they wanted to be at with the shit they were doing. Oh, <laughs> I remember the one thing I'll never forget about that place was one night. You had gotten a video camera from Robert or something, uh -huh. and you were shooting the video with the fish and your red hoodie, and you zoomed down off yeah. the highway. Yeah. Anyway, one of those nights, you had a box of Y shirts, the earliest Y shirt. With the airplane? Yeah, and you started filming me putting on as many shirts as I could put on. Okay. And I put on like 80, whatever, I don't know, I 30 shirts. This. Yeah. And I was huge and then I couldn't oh, yeah. move and you guys were screaming, go, go. And we were filming it and everyone was yelling and then we had all those bitchy ass neighbors. Yeah. And all the neighbors were at the door and I opened it up with all the shirts on <laughs> and I was like, hey, what is it? What do you want? And they were... They fucking hated us. Like, <laughs> yeah, those two girls crazy. in the basement. Uh, like, yeah. The morbid one and the morbid one. I kind of wanted to fuck that one. Yeah, so. yeah, yeah. She was, kind of, she was kind of neighbor hot. Anyway, we're talking about yeah. the neighbor. <laughs> but that was the spot. They're still there. Piedmont Coffee. 
Yep. Mm. We were just standing there every day. And then we went to Japan, and you yeah. know, took a picture with a naked girl with a tampon string. string I, what do you mean? I took a picture. All of us were in that photograph. Yep. And we that was the first time I really understood how a tampon worked exactly. Because like, like, oh, shit. I'm like, like a parachute. I'm like, there's a string hanging out of this girl's pussy. Yeah. Like, oh, that's the tampon And string. then, you know, I was perplexed for hours after that. And I was like, you know, okay, so I'm a fireman. And I go to my job. And I bring my fire hat. She's a nude model. She goes to a shoot with a string from her vagina. So that, to me, is like... Before you fix your bangs, if you had a... So then we found out it was fashion. Well, it's that not fashion, it it's fetish. I mean, this is... Right, the other F. This is Japan. Like, they're into all kinds of crazy weird shit. And she held a guitar. And she was holding a guitar. She probably we had an were, American bandana We couldn't like have... That. Yeah, exactly. We couldn't have been more out of place or, like, uncomfortable and weird. Um, it was like, we were supposed to be on stage to do the song with Crush, John Walker. We're lined up, and we all leave the room, and then we turn around, and there's, like, a little ruckus, and it's, is it you and Brandon? You won't put the DJ Crush commemorative birthday shirt on. It wasn't me. I wore the shirt. It was Brandon Brandon and someone else, and then the other person put it on, and then Brandon was protesting. He would not put on the multi-autograph starter shirt with the DJ Crush birthday. That was an ugly-ass shirt. We got it. It was pretty intense. I still got mine, man. We look like a I team, though. It was beautiful. And uh, it's he finally put it on Inside Out, and they let him go out. I don't know what that was about. Disrespectful, man. And didn't like, he just have the intro? I don't know. And he missed it? Yeah. Wait. That was like back, that was back when concerts were just, like, the idea of, of performing a song was, like, trying to stave off total and utter disaster yeah. <laughs> for another ten seconds. You know what I mean? You're just yeah. like... It's like in being an American gladiators and being uh, having the, the pugilist be hitting you in the head with the thing. And you're like, let me just stay on this platform for five more, more seconds. Just, yeah. <laughs> yeah, it was crazy. Breathing and organization and barely any rehearsal. Cueing. Yeah, you know, just I never two fit. We were jet lagged as fuck, and we walked in to Crush's rehearsal space. Some of us were sick, oh, yeah, and was... like that, we spent like 15 minutes there. We right. just went through the song once. I remember I didn't catch my shit at all but they were yeah. like okay good yeah. see you tonight well yeah. because the beat was all what weird too fuck? yeah it was amazing yeah it was weird actually. I mean, someone with a camera at that show and it, a lot of it's warbly and stuff but it's a VHS I think he put the digital recently speaking of that Adam just sent me that uh, shit oh, today which I, I watched the very beginning of it the, it's pretty awesome yeah it's Scribble 99 and that was the summer that Yoni was away yeah, it was insane. Uh, for me, uh, I don't know, it was like a clown car. Like, someone kept coming out of the bathroom constantly. Yeah. Another rapper or another yeah. person, I would be like, who is that? Oh, my God, that's little Stevie. You know, it was yeah. just like all these fools in the house freestyling. It was, up till I saw it, was, it was Lab Tech and, 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 and Soul. Scotty Metallic, rapping. ADM, Shalem. Shalem, yeah. Uh, Reverend Destructo. There was uh, mass people up in there. Lab Tech's yeah, friend. Jeff was banging out the beats on the SP. Mm-hmm. Is Beecham there? There's like no, three other Beecham. people, though. Brad. You were like rolling Man. a blunt in the corner. I was, I was, I'm sure. I was, I was, or freaking a black or whatever you Purple were doing was there. in the corner. Purple was up in that bitch. Young as hell. Let's move forward a little bit. You guys have all these projects that you had been doing, but let's say, in the mid, mid-2000s. mid Subtle themselves. Yeah, Subtle started. Oh, yeah, I guess so, yeah. That all happened at once. How at once? Well, you started doing the improv stuff with Subtle. Because we met Dax selling CDs to make rent at the Berkeley apartment. We met Dax. He was nice. He liked Slow Death and Green Think. Yeah. Because of Dr. Sampling. And we would would basically sell our shit through Dax. Mm -hmm. And make whatever money we had. Food money. It was kind of the key to life in a yeah. lot of ways whatever hustling for whatever scraps yeah. yeah too bad that went away but it was awesome so I mean that was everything that money but uh, when you think about it it was like $40 for a month oh, you know what I mean and, yeah. you, and you'd go in and check on one too many times you know yeah. hey you got yeah we still have 17 <laughs> yeah. you know and uh, but then, then we uh, started improvising slowly with Dax Dax would be like wanna come over and jam and I would go and Alex would show up and blah blah blah, blah. and then all of a sudden we started meeting at Jordan's jamming that became subtle Jeff, the first subtle jams were him on an SP. It was pre-MPC. This is when you were working at Amoeba. Yeah, that okay. whole time. And then uh, we started touring with themselves. Dax joined themselves live. Mm. And then eventually, Dax, we did so much touring, he was like, I want to play my own music. And that was what created Subtle. Mm-hmm. And then last themselves tour, we met Marcus from the No Twist. 
and we're like, we're fans, and they said they're fans. And then that began 13 and God, which kind of staggered and started later. Yeah, we toured with them in the States as themselves, the No Twist, and then from that breakdown bus situation, we decided let's make some music together. Oh, okay. Yeah, so when that. we toured and opened for them right. as a result of that, after that, when we met them on that tour, we toured with them in the States, bus broke down, we made friends. Then the first subtle came out, horrible car accident. Right before that tour, we recorded the first 13 and God. Right. 13 and God came out. It was the first time, like, Dax finally got out of, you know, the hospital. We got out of bed. When the album came out. When 13 and God, yeah, and we decided to tour, and it was kind of a heaven sent for me. I I don't know if I... I was definitely thinking about, like, quitting music. If we hadn't had, like, a really easy tour that was awesome with friends and felt like an all-star team and warm. And did did it do better than the stuff you had been doing in terms of the people showing up to shows and stuff Yeah, the only show where it didn't double down the audience was New York for some reason. There's still a couple hundred. Yeah. But it wasn't full. It was, like, Bowery Ballroom. But the rest of the shows were, like, sold out. Yeah, Yeah. yeah. Because of the no choice audience, basically yeah. at that very point. loyal, and yeah. and I think the the Anacon buzz that was happening out there was slowly yeah. At that time, that was crescendoing. When did that taper off, and why? Right after that, it's it went from that buzz. I don't know when or what, but it quickly went into the positive but marginal regard of people being like, "That's an Anacon sound. They sound like they should be an Anacon." That's Anaconda. Yeah, I think so it, and that just kind of happened. The, the European fan base kind of uh, expected us to go in a certain way, I guess. We didn't like as, and it, it had a lot to do with where our stuff was getting in and out, of course, of the country after like years. But people always ask me when I'm out there, it was like, "What happened to Anticon? You were so cool, and now right. no one knows." Yeah. That question gives started to fuck. come up. You're like, right. "What did you do?" Like, I, right. I don't fucking know. Was man. it like 2004, five? Four and five, somewhere in there, the buzz from two thousand and one just started to uh, hit them over. Well, there. it became. You see, you got to see. It actually is not a negative thing at all because if there was this thing where you would go into a record store, yeah, those years when record stores died, we lost a lot of love when record stores died. First of all, yeah, because we're very word of mouth. We've always been a somewhere between secret and breaking news. Anyway. What, lost. the Anacon section? So the Anacon section manifested itself, and yeah. then that's why people started saying, yeah, that's like Anacon. Right. And then, then we would have our internal fight we would always have about who was Anacon and why we were upset that someone, right. they would always say someone was Anacon and someone wasn't. Right. You know, and that radiated throughout the world and backwards towards uh, to us. That and negativity? I think, don't think it was negativity. I think we, if you think about or exclusivity it. exclusivity or whatever. <laughs> whatever it is, that. confusion. Yeah. We had that amongst us. Yeah. We didn't have it like the world did. They were like, what are they, a religion or friends or rich kids or a school? <laughs> uh, you know, but we had our own because we would be like, oh, you know, should we have Grand Buffet in Anaconda? Right. Should, you know, is Sage out of Anna in it? Did we ever want? So there was this thing, and then I'm so glad that that really stopped too. Do you feel like we should have just been more open, or do you, no. you know, we didn't put Grand Buffet's record out? I don't know if they, I think they asked to be put out by yeah, us. Yeah, and we had issues about that. You know, that's it was like certain, like. Well, we took ourselves really seriously. We took that's ourselves what I'll say really seriously. That's what I'll say about Grand Buffet. So whether we made a mistake or not, I don't know, right. but we definitely. They were like, are they guilty were very, of taking our shit seriously. They were very jokey, and they had that They kind are of one of my favorite performance awesome. people yeah. ever. So it was one of those things that, I, you know, in retrospect, I don't know what we did, but I don't ever think we should have closed the doors more. I think that's ridiculous. Right. That's how we were demo listeners and likers. That's yeah. how the whole fucking thing started. It was almost like, uh, you know, two right hands. We really couldn't do that. We couldn't be exclusive and then be these guys that listen to demos and pull people out of phone calls yeah pre-internet you know because that continued that's how we met passage that's how we right. met everybody else that's ever right been in it. right 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 that isn't chris adams i mean even them i mean obviously they weren't demos that we were listening to of their shit but you know we heard right. their shit and, we and reached out yeah so that's kind of the thing that i think over time holds us together yeah. and remains I mean, true. same for you know getty and bath yeah that's how it still works everybody. so Again, in retrospect, I think that that may have always been the right way to do it. Yeah, I don't think anybody really had a super vision quest out of any of us. We all just, you know, fell into our own vision quest beyond Anticon. You know, after yeah things changed, Bailey left, Tim left, of course, and it was before that even. We get together and have our little funny ass meetings, and you know, no one, some I, I'd never be serious, right? 
people be drunk, high, whatever the fuck. We didn't really ever come up with too much in those meetings, I feel like. No, we were always trying to find this thing that helped us rule the world, though, or change it all. Yeah. That was such a funny... I think that's still probably present in everyone's concept of the future. However, we were pretty, as a group, attached to trying to find it every once in a while. You're talking about ambition. I, You know, there's a healthy way to have ambition, and then there's, like, an unhealthy way. And I think... You know, a lot of the ways early on were probably not the healthiest, you know, in the way no. we... But we were cult hermiting. It was like... And we were poor as shit. Yeah. And we had no funding, and we had big aspirations. So there was a lot of unhealthy shit about how we all banded together. Mm-hmm. But that's like, you know, us all getting on the same menstrual cycle. Some of it was really positive, too. Yeah, no, I mean, so, I, I, I know, feel like... A lot of good shit came out of it. Yeah. Exactly. I, I feel like... All the good shit came out of that closeness. I, I feel like, had I not met... You know, you and then all you guys, I never would have, you know, done, I never would have started doing music and stuff. And like, no, we boosted, I, we boosted each other. Exactly. Quite we literally boosted each other up and, and sort of helped build on each, on each other's ideas. And I think that that was definitely essential in, in the growth of all of our respective arts. You know, I think it, when we were talking about the Anaconda inclusion thing, I think for a lot of years, our world was still small. We were always talking about including or not including various hip-hop people we influenced or met or were still meeting. And I think that we're in a stride now of all music because we now make more kinds of music. Yeah. And that is actually the thing that needed to be in place if we were to really talk about what's the perfect way to run Anacon from the beginning. But we didn't really know bands or know we wanted to be in bands. You know, so like I think that... It, it took time, it took like yeah. four or five years for us to broaden our scope musically, taste-wise, people-wise. Everything changed. You know, the whole way you look at the industry changed as well. From you know, just we put Deep Puddle and and Souls for Seven and the first of them out to be like, fuck, we're not going to shop this anywhere. You know, let's just put it out ourselves. And we had a good like a good run at putting our own shit out through the internet until it all of a sudden when it switches over to. The Napster, the Napster, yeah, era. and now handheld shit to like where the way music is being sold worldwide, you know, it's a whole new world. The music industry has still not stabilized itself. Yeah. So, uh, you know, it may be that tech advances decimated the music industry so bad that it will always flux forever right. from now on. You know, one just the principle of once water's free it's hard to get people to pay for it. So that just has created something that you'll never be able to estimate. You know, anymore. I think people are, are trying to figure out different ways of making money within the industry, mm-hmm. but it's, yeah, it's you know, not t- simple anymore. I was talking to Will uh, in Salt Lake City, Sartain, he's yeah. an awesome promoter there, and he was saying that in the last five years with social media, it's actually become the easiest it ever was to tell how much you can depend on a band's fan base to show up. And what their guarantee should be, and these kinds of things. No, because you just look at their Twitter friends, their Facebook friends, you look at their network, and you can, to within 25 tickets, guesstimate things. Whereas he used to book Cloud Dead for 10 people, or, you know, like, right. it was like, I don't know, I like him. It was a similar thing. Like the first Cloud Dead tour where we ba- we went out in a bus and basically <coughs> tanked. Oh my god, know, like, so hard. We just assumed, since there was like this buzz within the media, that like it was going to translate to fans at shows, <clears> and it didn't. At all. Yeah. The only reason we could really do themselves, which helped you and you did your first tour and everything and soul, like there was this meeting agents in the beginning. Yeah. It was like one of us would go through the door and then we would either go through the same door or the door next to it. Yeah. And all of that was based on how we barely pulled off that first tour. Right. But that we, was we had to have done that tour yeah, to was... have just somewhere to start from. And my career as why or whatever was based on the Cloud Dead stuff. And, you know, people would come see why because they were like, oh, this one of the dudes from Cloud Dead. Yeah, you know, well, so and reaching like, quiet literally manifested in that band yeah, yeah, that would yeah. later be why with your brother first time. Yeah, you guys did anything besides sourdough soup bread? Yeah, well, he was on quiet. Yeah, he was on the album. No, he wasn't. No, he wasn't because that was what you played him. He was on the Cloud Dead album. I'll never forget that moment when you sent reaching quiet to your brother, and I don't know why we were alone talking about Cloud Dead contracts or something, but I remember you telling me face to face, and he was like, "Yeah, man," he just called me. Yeah, I, like, I you made the, this. I was at the Fairmont house one day, and he called me because I had sent it to him shortly after we had moved to California. Yeah, he he called me one day, oh, that's why. and he's just like, you know, I really like this. I want to work with you on some stuff like this. And, like, okay. and that was like the wake up. 
yeah. big brother. Well, I think he just, you know, he realized that he didn't have to sort of play somebody else's music. He could kind of work on making his own. That's got to be a cool feeling, though. Yeah. yeah, that's a cool gift to get from your little brother. Yeah. I got, I got my dad in the room with Alan Moore, and they got stoned together. It was yeah. one of those things where I was like, okay... Dad would have never done that right, if it weren't right. for son. You right. know, and you get the same thing yeah. where you get to give your brother, who was always the drummer, and, right. and showing you music was, you could be nasty at it, and then finally you get to, like, give him something. Yeah, and he went out and pr- promptly bought an 880 himself yeah, right? and whatever, and, you know. Yeah, I mean, where do you guys feel like you're at now with music and stuff? Like, are you guys supporting yourselves? I mean, I know you have a job. Mm-hmm. So you're not supporting yourself on music specifically. Well, music, right uh, before the 13, second of 13 of God came out, yeah. music uh, died for me. Robert doesn't pay royalties. Anacon had that weird yeah. thing with back royalties. Yeah. Stores don't sell back catalog anymore. And everything, I'm not being dramatic here. No. I'm being, I'm being completely honest, yeah. but everything I did for over a decade, zero dollars for 15 months. And yeah. I had this $20,000 that was, a little bit was the Canada nonsense. Uh, you know, right. love and whatnot. But um, all that debt, I had to stop and get the job. So now I paid off all the debt. The reality, though, despite what I did and getting a job and working it off, the reality was the bitterness became, it started to eclipse my aesthetic, my willingness to be creative. You're just like, I'm not going to get paid for this anyway. Well, just like that it, I couldn't believe that I made nothing. There was no support network for me. I just was kind of in shock almost. Yeah. And the fact that I had to get a job to pay off what I had, because the uh, debt that I had was just like $1,000 every year. Nothing dramatic. No Ferrari. And the accident, actually, is always in the back of my head a lot. And that time was really heavy, too. I was like, wow, I paid to do all this? And How it, does that... it felt so sadistic at a point for yeah. me. It didn't feel like I'm some independent music Magellan, which is more what I am on a better day. I just felt like I really lost. So uh, once I dealt with the debt and got through that phase, I actually love music right now. You feel clearer, but you don't have to rely on it for your livelihood. Is that a good thing? Well, it took me down. Like, I didn't have to get this job either, but I did because of how hard I played music baseball. I could have had a transition, I would have, you know, but I didn't have any choices. I had to go directly from, like, what happened to music Mm -hmm. to, like, job. But I think that it's. Uh, it was my path, man. I don't know. I can't look back. There's no one big regret. I didn't, like, gamble hard on something, and it changed it all. It was really what happened. 2005, and music started to get weird and change how money was made, and I just kept making records with bands and people far away or close. Right. And that just became this weird thing. And for me, I always thought keeping track of Dose and his bands would pay off in this intrigue way. And somehow I felt like that also really fizzled in a weird way. Like you, you would spread too thin in terms of where, how you, where people, all your stuff was at? In terms yeah, of but how people would regard it was more what I was always concerned would come back around. Yeah. People would be like, wow, look at all this. You know, like you'd grab all the dose CDs and, and with two arms and be like, yeah, pull them into a pile. That doesn't really happen. Right. You know, so it was Pe- like... People aren't, aren't as willing to search things out. As you, you would want them to be as, well, it's, as, as you are. I, as yeah, I am. Yeah. That's really what... So that was uh, after those months of all that stuff. That's one of the things I started to realize, too. Yeah. And then at the end of that, I realized that everything after Cloud Dead and the initial Themselves music we made had a schedule on its tail, like a stinger. And it polluted making the money. I'm not saying anything's whack or got rushed. I'm just saying it did pollute and change how we just used to have music come out of this ether and I used to have a different relationship to music and I served it a lot better I think as a creative Mm -hmm. so right now I'm getting back to that and it's really cool because I have the luxury of not touring all the time really is the big thing leaving the house yeah I mean touring kills your creativity and shit it does but that's the way you know I have to make money I have to tour to make a living yep even then it's a struggle you go into E yeah with that yeah that's where my debt came from right was E and and that's basically my job is touring around, and it sucks your your creativity just you know in the same way that that a job does. You know, there are little things that you can do to make it a little a little less you know eat away at you less. You know, like having a bus, for example. You sleep, you you wake up, and you're in a town. And you can go out and you yeah. can go to a coffee shop and mess around. On Get a headspace. Yeah, Keep exactly. It. Yeah. yeah. Um, well, what about you, Jeff? Like, you don't have another job. No. So you've just been hustling. Yeah, most of the last year I was touring, like all early in March with Astronautilus, and then in the summer three different tours, and then at the end of the year with Astronautilus again. I mean, I held myself through that year 
making that money. And you can do pretty well. You know, for me, it's hard. Our budgets are so we're spending so much money now. So you know, but I think mm. it's when you just have yourself, you can that you you make all the money. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> for real. Like I did the tour with Abilities, and it was just me, him, and Boy Pedal, Chad, in the car. We rented a car and. Expenses aren't that you know we do Motel Six or whatever. Yeah, you know. the, I, I came home and could pay like two months of rent, three months of rent after the mm-hmm. summertime. You know, that's generally always kind of the cushion, right? It's never really eight months. Yeah, it's, just like, it's never like ah. Until something pops up again, hopefully. You know. Yeah, you get you keep shit rolling. Yeah, that's the thing is like you have to keep putting shit out so that something's gonna keep coming out and you can keep touring on it and you can keep yeah. That was the thing that I realized makes your. Um, just pressurizes the cabin where it otherwise would be what it is. And I, I don't think that everyone needs to pick their toes more between finishing and starting songs. That's not what I'm saying, but it's just the scheduling, everything, making money off of it, get opinions, man, reviews, the whole... It's like twins, right? They find Arnold on the island and he's all pure and then they take him into reality. <laughs> and you find out Danny DeVito's his dirty little brother. But, you know, you just it's not the same... It's just a slightly different thing. And so what I realized this was, I was like, man, what a bummer that every band loses a little, yeah, like, energy as they... So few bands really keep getting budget jumps and studio jumps and, like, record on top of a mountain. Like, Arcade yeah. Fire, they bought, like, a church and right. did their next right. record in this church that they built with amps. Awesome. That's not everyone's case. You and I got a shitty sure. fucking computer from Robert with digital performer yeah but that's you know and 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 jerry and i were just talking about how you know neither of us and i know you i'm sure i mean your your setup's kind of cool but we never had anything like ideal for a setup and it's always like you just work with whatever you have and you try to make it uh as comfortable as possible i guess you know i mean i don't know like the time that you actually have at home to work on music let alone trying to work on the road I mean, yeah, I'll, I'll go home and my shit will be sitting there for a week or two and then I'll set it up and fuck around with it. And yeah, yeah. I'd like to have a place that's like, whenever I want to just go in and pop in. And I want to have a patch like, bay. I want to have yeah, a man. fucking patch bay someday. My shit is wired now. I, yeah, your shit, I make too much music. Your shit's pretty good. It's not what Brent has in a way. He's no. got his shit like... I don't have the high-endness either of the gear. Like, I don't need certain things yeah. and I'm not pursuing them. But that what I did was, the way I wired the studio is I have no excuses for not using any one thing when I want it. That's mm-hmm. the way it... Yeah. Even if that's just a piano and a tape recorder, it should be really easy to like yeah. press go. Yeah, in in a moment when you have because yeah, you lose yeah, you don't. That's the that's the thing about technology or gear is that you never want it to hold you back. Oh, it's the worst thing, too. right? So if you feel if you have an itch or if you have an idea, you should be able to always get it out somehow, right? I mean, when you go see Dax these days, man, it's I'm about to see Dax. It's inspiring. Oh yeah, okay. Yeah, but like his rig and his shit with the two iPads and the computer and the quadriplegic man making music freely on them shit's crazy you're just like uh wow well uh when you think about impediment for getting an idea out of your face and into the world he has nothing but that but it's it's like barely there but he has it set up in such a way that he can get get his shit out he uses the two ipads in conjunction with each other and an app called touch able which controls ableton so he doesn't have to touch his computer anymore which always necessitated all these right-click things, and then he double-click. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's, it's impossible to explain over a podcast. But it, you know, freed up his hands, as yeah. it were. So now he's, like, cruising around. He plays beats on the pads now because awesome. of how it is. It's all pretty dope. But anyway, it's fully wired and, like, yeah. catches every idea he has. Someday I would like to have something set up nice like do your basement like broder his shit's awesome well i don't have a basement like that i mean i have a basement but it's not basements are dangerous though this is not that's where your gear gets flooded it's a my house from 1890 and my basement is yeah it's old it's just skeletons is there a guy in a chain it's not a finished basement yeah more or less yeah there's civil war skeletons and shit so i i have to leave in a sec man i gotta go do this meeting fuck I feel, like, I feel like I could talk for another two hours with you guys to get to the, to the meet. We all lost, we, the three of us lost touch for a while. Le, uh, like to an extent, that, yeah. While living in Oakland, we didn't oh, yeah. hang out as much. Yeah, because we weren't living by each other. I mean, you know, I had my little gang of people that I would hang out with around where I lived at. That's the thing about Oakland is like. Actually, we were on opposite tour cycles for yeah. like three years. Okay. Do you remember okay. that? 
I remember yeah. we were never back. Yeah. And we would always get in and out. I mean, we had, like, between Subtle themselves and Y, that was a hell of a lot of touring going on. And we were booked as Subtle at uh, TT the Bears while you guys were booked at Middle East. That's right. Night. That's right. <laughs> That's right. I remember so, that. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I remember that. And you stayed at my parents' house that night. Yeah. And my little sister, for some reason, like, saw you. Is that right. you and me? Her whole childhood? Years. I don't know if you know this. She, my she kid heard, sister. heard the idea of me. It was explained to her as you were a vegetarian. Right. But it became, <laughs> would Yoni eat that? Right. And okay. she would say okay. this long, when she didn't really know who you were know anymore. Yoni was. Right. She would say, would Yoni eat that about a lobster? Right. You know, just because it looked peculiar. The other thing I remember about my kid sister is one time when she was really little, I was in the back of a car, Cincinnati era, at the grocery store, and this um, big black guy with dreads walks by. And she goes, Fat John, Fat John, Fat John. <laughs> and I was like, Honey, honey. And I had to have the talk with her where I was like, um, That's a black man. Not, you not know, all black people. She'd seen one black man. Yeah, right, and it was her right. second black man. Oh, was pretty awesome. Fat but I was like, Oh shit, I have to have this talk. How do I do this right, real quick? <laughs> yeah. Well, um, I guess we'll close up shop for now. What? Like we're not, going to the Y show, dude. I feel like we're not really finished with this conversation, to be honest. But we'll we'll close up for now. Maybe we'll get back to this after the show or something. Who knows? Anything else? Take a five minute break during the show and just bring us up front. We'll that's right. That's right. And Jeff, anything else you 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 feel like we have glazed over? We you know, talk about we used to dumpster dive in the photo. Oh, that's true. Dumpster. Wendell decorated the Wendell. Whole house with the Wendell was the the little pudgy kid we had on the door. Yeah, yeah, we did. We we hung up photographs of other people's families in our house. In a our lot house. of them. Speaking of neighbors, like if they came, you open the door and they see some weird shit like that. You're like, what the? There were big ass photos. We had a big Filipino man on the wall. Dude, we had who did we had walking there. We had Rational from Hobo Junction. We had Lyrics Born walking. Uh, motion oh, man. You know, motion man name. called us rich people. Really, it was really rude to me. Actually, he, he's, really? he's like, oh, your parents pay for all that shit because we gave him the Anaconda CDs. And yeah, and he looked me up. While we getting ripped like, off your by parents TRC. pay for this, and I was like, uh, what? Who was who that dude? He was in. He was in. Uh, he was down with Cool Keith. Keith. And my, the, yeah. it was another one of those instances where someone who I really appreciated and like wanted to collaborate with was flat out rude to me, and yeah. I didn't know how to serve him. I was just like, mom. Yeah, but it wasn't even in that situation. It was just like he was coming by from the girls that, that were rapping. Yaro. Yeah, yeah. But also, Brava. the chief of the Oakland police came in when I saw the Molotov shit across the street. And he oh. saw right. the chalkboard was right in the front door. And he came in to show me that the headshots of all the... I couldn't pick them out. It was like a hundred dudes. And I was like, whatever. I saw this dude run down the street, you know, throw a Molotov cocktail. But the chief of police walks in the door and it was like a chalk drawing on the board that you had. This dude bent over himself, peeing in his mouth. <laughs> 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 and he just like looked at it and I was like holy shit and I tried to get the weed like away. right the weed was all on the yeah. fucking and he just like table. he was like alright you want to look at these and tell me was, I was like yeah I saw that and he was like you know most people don't do this like I don't know why you're even trying to you know right and I was like well I saw it I was, like, I was, was there too man I was there Jeff said it real quick someone needs to repeat what he's talking about what did you say we saw, well, yeah, no, saw a Molotov cocktail we were, in, we were in our apartment and somebody threw a Molotov cocktail through the window right across the street yeah so my grandmother house or something yeah, and I went out and talked to them and the lady was like no I know who it was and the cop was like well you're gonna you know follow or whatever say like you're a witness and I was like yeah I looked up and saw the dude do it he ran that way he had a hat on you know and then they were like okay and then the chief police came like a week later or something. okay I wasn't there when the police yeah. guy that's what I'm saying because that's that was all up on the board and like I, I didn't even you know I let him in he's like can I come in I was like yeah and he came in I was like holy shit like you know. <laughs> This shit's on the board. The chief of police, like, and he's in a suit, but he pulled out the book of like 125 brown suspects. Right. And I was like, yeah, I can't call. You know, <laughs> yeah. Jesus. Who was the Russian? It was a Molotov, right? Yeah. Right. It was the one. In no, the yeah. Bolshevik hat. That was crazy though. Broke it, lit it, and then threw it in the window. Uh, the, you saw? You actually saw the yeah, throw it in? I, 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 was, I, I think I just saw it on fire. I heard it break. Right. Yeah. I slept through it. Yeah, I don't. I, I remember you guys all waking up. Yeah. I just because my head was my bed was right by the window, so I heard the crack and I looked up and I heard it, so I was, shit. And he threw it in the curtains went up and then they reached out and threw it out into the street and then it like shit. rolled off and put itself out or something. Yeah. I mean, I I heard it and then I ran over and saw the fires and the curtains on fire or whatever the fuck was going on. There were kids in the house. I was just like, yeah. So who was? Did you call the cops on it? No, no. Someone did. Someone did. All right, let's close up shop. This has been Jeff Logan Jail. Adam. Yeah. Those one drucker. Woo! Good night. Pod coasted. Gentlemen and women, gentlemen.
yes, yes. Yes, thank you guys so much for listening, really. I always appreciate your feedback. Let me know what you like, what you don't like. If you are or you know people that, that would want to be on here that would be appropriate, that are super interesting, more interesting than myself, send those ideas. Send, send yourself to Brent at SnakeCharmerInc.com. That's Inc. as an in incorporated, not a fucking tattoo parlor, all right? Um, Jewish Cemetery. I'm fucking clean, top to bottom, tip to toe. I'm recording this right now on an iPhone. It sounds okay, but my voice is silky smooth on an SM7. Believe that. Send money also to Brandon Snake Charmin. Now look, you better put wrap wrap a fucking piece of uh, very obtuse paper around that check so that he doesn't. He's gonna be looking through with a fucking candle and flashlight, um, seeing what he can fucking ten percent off me. Let's try to sneak a check by him. All right, give me some gear. This song under me right now, as well as the song from the beginning of the episode, are both by Jell. If you haven't checked this shit out yet, do it. I really appreciate you guys listening in. You're the joy of my life. You're the best I ever had. sneak this uh, this song on the end. This is a song that Adam Drucker and I wrote together, and my brother arranged the song and played most of the stuff, and Jeff played the drums on here. So I just thought as a little treat, I would tack this on to the end. I don't think it ever got released anywhere. So yeah, enjoy. This is Canada. You want a man full of love, more dangerous ways. Frozen lake full of fish
Fight. Fight. <laughs>